hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Before we get into this episode, this is a really exciting episode. As you guys know, I'm hosting Starting Small Summit in Mishawaka, Indiana, where I'm flying out the founder of Reebok, Stacy's Pita Chips and B-Bold Bars, and Dr. Jonathan B. Levine of Glow Science and JBL New York City. With that, this episode features Ryan Emmons, founder of Waiakea. The exciting part about this is Waiakea is the official water sponsor of Starting Small Summit. So come on out, watch the summit live, and enjoy some Waiakea for yourself. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Ryan Emmons, founder of Waiakea, naturally alkaline Hawaiian volcanic water from Hilo, Hawaii. Listen as Ryan shares stories from his upbringing, education, and the overall founding story to Waiakea today. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Emmons of Waiakea. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, man. Of course. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Yeah, so I grew up um, splitting my time actually in Santa Barbara and Hawaii. Um, I, um, I had a pretty awesome childhood, I'm not gonna lie. Those two places are not bad. Yeah. Um, at all to be raised. Um, <laughs> so I was really, you know, I was constantly in the ocean, um, very outdoorsy, kind of grew up in, my mom was kind of um, really believed in healthy eating and kind of, you know, I don't want to say like, she wasn't too hippy dippy, but, um, yeah. you know, definitely a focus on health and uh, kind of a holistic look at, at life. Uh, at life yeah Definitely. and um and then yeah so I, I basically um grew up in Santa Barbara and then would spend my summers and winters with my family uh on the north shore of Oahu yeah and then also on the big island um where I have uh, a bunch of family uh, on my mom's side and um so yeah I um it was honestly pretty incredible um you know, I've kind of, it's crazy to think at this point, I've gone back and forth for literally 32 years. Wow. Um, so, I mean, those have just been my, yeah, my two, my two places. And, um, you know, I was really lucky. I'm an only child, but I have a bunch of uh, half siblings and mm-hmm. um, my Hawaiian family. I have, you know, all my cousins are basically my, my siblings. Yeah. Um, and you know, I just honestly was very, very blessed. So constantly outdoors, had a big old family to kind of wrap me up with a lot of love, um, but also was able to, you know, do some travel and, and see some things that kind of informed, helped to inform my perspective for sure on what I wanted to do later on. Obviously, when I was a kid, I mean, you're, you're dealing with when I grew up, I want to, you know, I want to be a firefighter or I want to be a, I wanted to be a, you know, beach volleyball player or whatever it is yeah but definitely growing up in those places I started to mold my perspective um that I wanted to kind of be able to make an impact in whatever I did um so yeah that kind of that was kind of the upbringing amazing so I'm curious as a kid growing up down there um what's what's like the everyday like were you interested in sports say you said beach volleyball or surfing what what was your everyday kind of hobbies as, as a kid yeah, so I grew up, I started playing um, soccer pretty early, um, and then really, like, 
in Santa Barbara and on the North Shore, there's definitely like, I'd say more in Santa Barbara, but like beach volleyball is, you know, the found, the Santa Barbara is the founding place for beach volleyball. Yeah. Um, and, you know, started longboarding, also surfing um, at a pretty early age. And those are like my, you know, my two things um, that and, you know, I think that kind of carried over to, you know, even now, you know, I'm not getting in the water as much as I'd like to. Um, but, you know, I'm typically in the water at least once a week and, okay. you know, doing a lot of paddle boarding and, um, you know, I still play beach volleyball once a week. Um, and now I'm doing like downhill mountain biking and some other stuff. Cause amazing. I, when I am in LA, I live in a place called Topanga Canyon. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, but so I, I kind of grew up as a multi-sport guy, um, yeah. and had some scholarship opportunities going into college, um, for specifically for, for indoor volleyball mm-hmm. and ended up passing on those. Um, because I was able to get a scholarship to USC and USC had at the time, you know, top five, uh, undergrad business school and, mm. um, really was the only undergrad program that had an entrepreneur program. Okay. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and I also kind of like, was like, maybe I'll be a walk on yeah. except for the team was like ranked number one for like the four years that I was there. So yeah. I realized very quickly that that probably wasn't going to be the case, but, uh, <laughs> But I have pl- plenty of friends that came out of that program and still played play beach with them over the years. Certainly. Um, but yeah. Certainly. So you mentioned these other schools. You passed on these other, uh, these other scholarship opportunities. I'm curious, what led you to go to USC? Um, and was there any scholarship involved in any category? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I didn't have a, an athletic scholarship to USC. Um, yeah. I, I'd, I'm a, I'd like to think I'm a pretty good athlete. But, um, you know, with, with, you know, my main focus was really... Um, School. I was a fairly well-rounded, you know, kid coming out of high school. Yeah. Um, and USC is just top tier. You got a lot of Olympians. Um, I think USC, if you look at, it's actually like a top five. If you looked at the medal count mm-hmm. and you looked at the top five countries, if USC was a country, I think we would be in the top five for medal count. Wow. Um, like all time, which is pretty crazy. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so I, um, Sorry, what was the question? So, what yeah, what led you to go in there? And what was that? You said some scholarship as well. Yeah, for sure. So I um I had a I was a RATH scholar. So based on kind of my academic performance, um and also um athletic, and I had I had started um, a small business when I was in high school, and I was, you know, I was I think I was vice president of the student body. I was pretty involved. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of allowed me to yeah, go to USC and save some money. Cause it's definitely a hefty price tag. Certainly. And, um, and it was incredible. I picked it because again, that the, really the Marshall school, the fact that I was still, um, you know, able to be somewhat close to, um, my dad, who's, you know, in Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. uh, who's a little bit older. Um, but far enough where I could, you know, do my own thing. Yeah. And, um, and I just love, you know, the school spirit. There's again, the athletics that I talked to you about is just unreal. Mm. And it just, it's this perfect union of, you know, uh, a top 10 school combined with the athletics and the, the, the kind of feeling you get of from, from a larger school. Certainly. Um, 
and uh, and also a real melting pot. A lot of my mm. friends came from were international all over the place, not necessarily just SoCal. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I had a tremendous a tremendous time there, and that really shaped and formed me into who I am, and 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 also obviously led to the development of of Waikia, which I actually worked on. I started working on when I was in second semester freshman year. Wow. Uh, as a yeah, as kind of a, as I, I I basically pled with the teachers to let me into the entrepreneur entrepreneur program early, mm-hmm. but you typically couldn't start until you were a junior, at least at the time. Yeah, and I like was like pleading with them. I'd show up at the at the doorstep, uh, at the office of uh, of the dean like multiple times a week, <laughs> and, and finally like convinced him to let me kind of just like shadow some classes and yeah. Um, and yeah, man, that kind of started it all. Uh, yeah, I'd love to talk on that. Those uh, entrepreneurship programs that some universities offer is an amazing point to uh, potentially start a startup. So I'm curious, what was like the program design? Was it you build a startup and progress as the program moves along? What was that like? Yeah, so there, again, I think it might have changed. It's been a, a decade since I was at USC. Um, yeah. But at the time, you had kind of like some intro to entrepreneurship classes where you were just studying different startups, you know, reading a lot of um, different case studies about, you know, looking at why maybe this had these startups had success, why maybe these did not. Mm-hmm. Um, and the intro to entrepreneurial, uh, I forget what the exact class title was, but you had to like basically with $50, you had to come up with some concept that could generate positive cash flow. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, it was just like a very like good intro. But after that intro class, I definitely was like fairly excited. Um, and then you progress into uh, feasibility class, mm. which actually like kind of allows you to, it shapes how you kind of are framing, um, you know, an idea and, and kind of, ultimately, is this something that can scale? Yeah. And is this something that, you know, there is actually a business model here that, you know, can, can last. Yeah. Um, and then that progresses into a, a business plan class, um, mm-hmm. which was the final class um, for whatever kind of concepts have emerged out of the feasibility and, and, the, business, and uh, the previous classes. But at first, it's kind of just you're dipping in your toe. You're trying to kind of figure out what you might want to do. Yeah. And you're kind of experimenting with different things. But then the idea is that once you actually had uh, a concept and the feasibility, um, you it kind of took you through, which was really cool, the process from start to finish. And there were people mm-hmm. that changed their concept from that class, but mm-hmm. some people... Uh, from one class to the other, but some people like me, I kind of really thought I had something pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and so it was super relevant because everything I was working on really shaped um, shaped the launch of, of Waiakea. So, so when you were first pitching this idea, how did Waiakea start? What did that model look like? It wasn't a water company at the time. It was a holding company, correct? Um, well, so originally Waiakea Investments was going to be a holding company for... Um, like EnviroTech CPG. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we were looking at, um, you know, could we be the first, we were looking at Algae Inks. We were looking at like a bunch of different concepts. And ironically, we were looking at water from a different perspective than like the beverage industry. Yeah. Um, we were looking at water from a, 
well, you're looking at like infrastructure. Uh, we have crumbling infrastructure mm-hmm. and in California, we have, you know, some issues with infrastructure in Hawaii, although obviously the water quality is much better. Yeah. Um, and we are looking at, you know, desal. We are looking, which has a lot of environmental issues, but also like there's been some pretty significant leaps in the last like decade. Yeah. Uh, and you can look at Israel and kind of what they've been able to do. Um, and anyway, we looked at like everything and saw that there were some really high barriers to entry and it was really expensive. Yeah. Um, and the same thing could be said of, you know, water from the, in terms of the beverage industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but we thought that there was a way that we could kind of get around some of those barriers to entry. Um, yeah. and so essentially we, I think that's really what made us realize like, Hey, um, you know, even though we're working on these other things on the side, um, I think there's an opportunity for us to kind of significantly differentiate in the beverage category and specifically in bottled water Yeah. at the time. I mean, this still happens, but bottled water really was like the poster child for like sustainability, like definitely use. Yeah. And like the demonization of bottled water was like, basically the rest of the beverage industry was like throwing them under the bus, even though all of beverage has the exact same issues. Yeah. Um, and so for us, it was, Hey, how can we, um, you know, the world doesn't need another premium bottled water. It yeah. just doesn't. So how can we launch a brand that basically is a platform for then other eco, um, other eco, e- basically environmentally aligned, um, products that are kind of pushing the envelope Interesting. and yeah. setting an example for the rest of CBG. Yeah. So at the time for us, like everyone was just greenwashing and it was like, oh, we're recyclable. Like everything yeah. is fucking recyclable in terms of, in terms of CPG um, for beverage at least. Mm-hmm. So just like, why is that like, that really shouldn't be like what everyone's excited about. Yeah. Um, and so for us, we, there was the emergence of an industry in the U.S. Uh, of, of something that's called um, RPET, which is post-consumer recycled uh, PET mm-hmm. bottles. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, our, our kind of our first thing was, um, you know, let's be the first to use 100% RPET bottles, um, which have a 90, you know, 90% smaller carbon footprint, water footprint, energy footprint than a regular bottle. Yeah. And you're basically, you know, not using any virgin um petroleum um you're just basically encouraging and the circular economy Mm. um and so you know that was like our first thing and and the idea was that essentially we wanted to be like this sounds a little cliche but better to light a candle than curse the darkness like bottled water and beverage cbg is not going away anytime soon for sure it's growing really fast so what are the ways that we can actually make the biggest impact well, that's not just saying, hey, it should all be removed because that's yeah. just not, it's not realistic. But if every single um, beverage, not just bottled water, but beverage can elevate their standards for packaging, sourcing, logistics, that is the greatest impact I could ever make in my life. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of the framework of, of why we launched Waikia. And then we also, I was super involved in clean water NGOs in high school. Um, and, you know, that the clean water aspect was also a huge part of this where, hey, you know, it'd be nice if we really could 
make allow consumers to feel good about what they're purchasing, not just in terms of their footprint, yeah. but also in terms of the impact, both in terms of, you know, basically installing wells or donating water per every liter. We, we, we do um, a week supply mm-hmm. um, for every liter that you buy. Amazing. Uh, but it was also, um, you know, how do we really focus locally? Because Hilo um, has really had some rough times and is, has, is just an incredible place. Um, so how can we kind of model, how can, how can we be a model for local impact yeah. where we're not just scaling really fast and kind of like, like we want to bring everyone with us. Yeah. We want to elevate and like really have, we wanted to just kind of be a different model for, for what a camp, a company can be. Yeah. Um, and you know, that doesn't just mean like focusing on, you need to you need to be profitable. You need to focus on profit in order to create a sustainable business. Certainly, um, but if you can bring all your stakeholders with you, then that's kind of a game changer. And unfortunately, we have a tendency to scale businesses, um, only focus on top line, and sell. And then your legacy is basically determined by whoever you sell to. For sure. Um, and I didn't want that to be our legacy. Um, so anyway, that's kind of long-winded, but Definitely. that was kind of the framework for, for us launching YAK. Amazing. So financially speaking, I'm curious, you're fresh out of college. What does this look like? R&D, production, manufacturing. Were you having another job, a side job at this point? Did you raise funds? What did this look like to allocate funds? Yeah, so I worked, um, I worked summer jobs and then part-time jobs, um, I did a bunch of different jobs um, throughout college. Um, I had a public television editing job, ironically. Um, And then I also had a finance job, which I did to just like kind of see how I would like it. And I feel like it was actually helpful in Mm -hmm. terms of um, in terms of just like modeling and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, It went hand in hand really with my the the business school. I think it really prepared me. but, um, but yeah, I mean, that definitely, that and the scholarship allowed me to save up some money that I ended up obviously deploying into the company. Yeah. A big part of our thesis was um, we knew that we needed to eventually have our own facility at the source mm-hmm. um, for economies of scale, for legitimacy, like, for, like, you know, that's just, that was always the dream. A hundred percent renewable energy plant that, you know, could be, really a model uh and we wanted it to be you know one of the most advanced in hawaii Mm. um but like you aren't going to get there when like you're 22 no one believes in you you have no credibility yeah you have no experience (laughs) and and you can't just like what we had seen in our feasibility was all these people were raising a, a, a shit ton of money yeah by the way am i am i allowed to curse you're good you're good yeah. Okay. Or <laughs> <laughs> basically all these companies were raising a bunch of money and like basically putting together like 10 to $20 million facilities Yeah. before they even had a product that was validated. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just made no sense. It was, you know, cart before the horse. Um, yeah. And so our whole thing was, you know, MVP. So let's get a product out there. Let's make sure it sells, scale it, you know, get to the next inflection point raise a little bit of money so we still like can maintain our ownership 
versus, you know, raising big rounds at big valuations and suddenly you don't own your company. Yeah. Um, and so let's just like do one iteration after another. When we get to a point, we can decide if we're going to just, you know, if we need to just kind of unfortunately um, let it go. If we see the, you know, the proof is in the pudding, then we can, you know, go all in and, mm-hmm. and, and, and scale it from there. And so what we originally, the way that allowed us to kind of get a product out there is we originally established basically a, a bulk water supply chain um, where we were shipping the water in bulk to a co-packer in um, Los Angeles. Okay. And that enabled us to get a product out there. Now our cost was miserable, yeah. but we also didn't have any crazy CapEx. Mm. Um, we just basically had our own labeler and, you know, we were at the end of the line because we have a unique square bottle and we were doing like all nighters, me and three other guys, <laughs> um, and just hand, hand packing. And it was like that for the first couple of years and we were yeah. self-destroying in U-Hauls, wow. um, which was miserable. <laughs> Don't recommend that at all. Yeah. Um, but it was a starting point and the whole goal was, you know, Hey, you know, when the, when we know that the product can sell, the goal is that we eventually can have our facility that's at the source, that's employing tons of people locally. Um, but there's just, there was just no way that we were going to be able to do that right away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of, that was our, that was our kind of model. It was an MVP Definitely. model. And, uh, once we had our first couple of counts and the product was, you know, selling really well and was outselling Evian and a lot of other brands um, with obviously very limited resources. Mm-hmm. And then we have basically established about a hundred accounts um, where we, you know, they were selling really well. And yeah. then we leveraged those to basically get our first distributor. And we grew that distributor and we started to expand regionally and, you know, a few years in, we finally were able to justify our own facility. Wow. Um, and flash forward today, we have, you know, 65 employees in Hilo and it's amazing. Uh, and 20 on the mainland, which is pretty awesome. That's amazing. So yeah. I'm curious uh, for the listeners out there as well. What does the sourcing look like when you're sourcing the water and then you, you take that to the production facility to then package that? How, what, how does that look like? Yeah. So we, so we have a second facility now um, that's just about to be finalized. Um, that's like at the source. Okay. Um, but you know, originally, we, you know, we had the source, but yeah. we the source unfortunately was not close to the facility. Um, yeah. So we actually were still we are shipping it basically in large stainless steel tanks. Okay. Um, and. And that was just because, again, we, we basically, we were trying to make the most of what we had. Yeah. So we, we purchased um, originally a small, basically like it was a tile warehouse that uh, was super tiny and we completely retrofitted that thing. Um, it was a piece of work. Yeah. And if you're ever on the big island, um, if you're ever on the, the windward side, um, come on over because it's <laughs> currently the most advanced beverage facility um, in in the islands, which is pretty amazing. Wow! Um, so we really like turned the before and after on that thing is pretty remarkable. Um, and now we're running. You know, we have three shifts, 
all, um, we have robotic arms, all automated. Um, it just, it's a, it's pretty crazy, but That's yeah, amazing. started in a, started in a, a, a carpet and tile facility, um, that was very, very small and, uh, and yeah, so now we have this other facility that's also at the source. That's amazing. So the water itself, then, if you can kind of describe, uh, it's it's labeled as volcanic water, and the listeners, I'm sure, are are curious, what is the difference between um, Waikato water if they're going to consume maybe like a, a Dasani or something? What can they expect? Yeah, for sure. So um, look, as a disclaimer, first and foremost, I am in no way, shape, or form a, a water snob. Yeah. Um, I do think that there's a significant difference, obviously, between Dasani and Waiakea, but I, yeah. I don't want to say that, like, look, I, I drink tap water from time to time. And yeah. I, you know, I think there are pros and cons. I think, unfortunately, we do have a pretty lackluster um, municipal infrastructure of water throughout the U.S. So we have a lot of, you know, chlorine and a lot of fluoride um and and these are issues that you know most filters do not actually you know take one or the other out yeah um but like you know i'm not you don't you aren't going to piss me off by not drinking bottled water okay yeah for those that are the idea is that you know you're getting a product that a is arguably the most sustainable water source in the world Mm. um Versus like Dasani, if it's packed locally in Los Angeles, you know, California has a historic drought. Um, you know, how's that? How's that going? Yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're tapping into resources well over the sustainable yield. In, in Hawaii, the Keo Aquifer has a recharge rate of about 1.4 billion gallons a day. That's enough okay. to provide all of the bottled water that's consumed globally in a year, in a month. Wow. Um, and we bottle 0.000 one percent of that yeah um and the sustainable yield is i believe it's like almost it's a little bit over 400 million gallons a day so that's basically like without actually affecting the aquifer in any um in any way um you know that's essentially the the yield point um because you know and and we have in our charter there's no way that we ever can go over 0.001 percent of the sustainable yield yeah. Um, so, you know, maintaining that as an aquifer because it's so important to Hawaiians is like extremely, extremely important. It's a very delicate thing. Certainly. Um, but yeah, so I think it would start with the source itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the neck, but the actual water is um, is also incredible. So if you have, if you, if you can tell the difference between waters, and most people can. Um, you know, we have a really smooth mouthfeel. That's what actually, I, I noticed at first when I first tried it. Very smooth. For sure. So it's quite yeah. similar to actually Fiji. And a lot of that is because of the naturally occurring silica that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we also have a bunch of alkaline minerals. So magnesium, calcium, um, sodium bicarbonate, or actually no, no sodium bicarbonate, but a little bit of, um, a tad bit of sodium. Um, and you know, this kind of, uh, combo of alkaline minerals and electrolytes just is what creates this really nice balanced mouthfeel. Hmm. Um, now, if you look at smart water or some of these other brands, you know, we have four times the electrolytes as like smart water and those other brands, but that's not something that we are like actively trying to claim because it's still like a fairly insignificant amount of, uh, electrolytes in, 
like if you were to compare that to like a sports drink mm -hmm. but i think the really what's pretty amazing about the water is it is naturally alkaline i don't know if you've mm -hmm. seen like essentia yeah. and a lot of these alkaline waters um essentially they're just like artificially alkaline through sodium bicarbonate or electrolysis yeah. um versus our water is like that's the natural state of the water um, our water is alkaline because of the naturally occurring alkaline minerals so you aren't going to get like crazy ph swings and yeah and stuff like that um but yeah man um there's a lot of studies that have come out about silica uh absorbed silica in water mm -hmm. when it's consumed uh re significantly reducing the chance of developing alzheimer's actually because oh, wow. silica is the number one combatant against um, aluminum um which is pretty awesome um, I think like seven milligrams in water consumed uh, daily reduces the chance of developing significant Alzheimer's symptoms by like 11%. Wow. Uh, um, and that, so that's something that we're going to start exploring a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and then other than that, though, it just, you know, it's great for your hair, your skin and your nails. Um, and it tastes really smooth. So yeah. Definitely. Definitely. So you slightly touched on it there. I'm curious. Um, I'm sure it shifted as you progressed, but what did the marketing strategies look like? Did you really leverage and do you leverage hard on the sustainability aspect or what does that kind of look like? Yeah. So I think like we have three, three we have three brand pillars. So mm -hmm. live healthy, live sustainably, live ethically. So I think, well, we, we didn't want to focus on one of those. And like my, my professors at USC were telling me, oh no, you're trying to do too much. But for me, these were all also like very much aligned yeah. with the Aloha, the Aloha spirit and aligned with, you know, Hawaiian values. Um, so I, I, it was really important for me that we do all three. Definitely. Um, so, but I would say obviously our focus in terms of differentiation, like there's other spring waters, there's other artesian waters yeah. that, you know, maybe have a nice mouthfeel and have like, you know, some silica, um, or, or maybe naturally alkaline. Certainly. Those are more rare, but yeah. they do exist. So I think for us, it was always, you know, how can we, we want to be the number one when it comes to basically enviro tech in beverage. And we want to be the number one in terms of, um, socioeconomic, um, mm. impact yeah. um, and, and health impact. Um, and so I, I, and I, and I think we've maintained that for literally 10 years. Um, if you look at on the impact side, if you look at our Kokua initiative, which we launched two years ago, um, I mean, we've literally impacted over a hundred thousand people through that program. It's incredible. And ironically started during the pandemic when people needed the most help and those programs, like there's just no one else that's doing anything close to that. And yeah. that doesn't even include all the clean water work that we do through all the wells and all of our sanitation training and education that's going on in Malawi. The yeah. reason why we picked Malawi because it has the lowest per capita water consumption um, and availability in the world. Wow. Um, so if you look in the U.S., we're consuming like the equivalent. If you look at all all, all the goods that we purchase, uh, our food that we eat, um, showers, etc., mm. household use, we're talking, you know, thirty to to 60 gallons of water per day versus yeah. someone over there is typically their general usage, which can include all of the above is typically between like seven and, and 20 liters a day. Wow. Um, and that in, is inclusive of what they're eating, what they're, they're bathing, et cetera. So, Certainly. um, 
yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Certainly. I think that really is what sets us apart from everyone else. And that's what really, that's like, that's our big focus moving forward. So, Definitely. you know, we have some, we finally have some algae-based inks coming out for all of our labels, all of our, um, all of our, um, all of our ink-based ink packaging. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a bunch of larger innovation that's also in the pipeline. We just launched the refillable aluminum. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's definitely our number one goal. It's amazing. So I'm curious then, uh, touching on the Kakua initiative as well, that is strictly you're uh, making an impact on the Hawaiian community currently, correct? Would that yeah. expand or is that going to, do you like, is it staying? That's there? always going to be focused. Um, yeah, focused locally. Um, that's not just the big island. So that's it, that's all islands. Yeah. Um, although the main focus has been Hawaii and, um, and Oahu. Um, but, but yeah, that's gonna, we're gonna kind of continue that. And then I think we'll continue the clean water just cause we have a great relationship with our partners over there. And if you actually are able to go over and get your boots on the ground and see the impact that, you know, some of these programs have, uh, I took my wife, um, mm. before we had our first, our first, uh, little baby girl and, um, we, she was blown away. Wow. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's something that is also gonna gonna continue and be important to us. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, just as a consumer myself, uh, just not an amazing product alone, but the mission aspect of your brand, there's truly no other water companies that make it very noticeable that they're making an impact on the community, such as YAKA. So I really honor you guys for that, for sure. Thanks, man, appreciate it. Of course. I like to conclude each episode with this. Um, so if you could share one piece of advice then through your journey, um, so to an aspiring entrepreneur, uh, what would that be? Maybe something you've learned or maybe regret? Uh, what would you say? Um, I would say hire slow and fire fast. I know mm. that's kind of like getting right to the yeah. <laughs> jugular on that one, but I do think that's a, especially relevant. Definitely. Um, I think when we're under the gun as young entrepreneurs, I think that we can, we don't realize how important every single hire is yeah. when you have a small team. And um, I was pretty lucky because I got my first few hires right in terms of like, well, my initial team was great. My co-founder was great. Our first hire was, was Garrett, who is one of my best friends still, even though um, we parted ways years ago. Yeah. Um, and you know, they were kind of the core for, I, we had full, I had full trust, mm. um, full mutual trust. Um, and, but then as we scaled, you know, I think I made, I think I made some quick hires that I should have spent some more time doing using methods like top grading, different interview yeah. techniques. I should have taken the time because ultimately those bad hires, um, affected the company in ways that are kind of less tangible. Yeah. Um, in terms of morale, et cetera. And luckily, like we've had pretty crazy low turnover. I think we've only had, um, like on the management side, we've only had two people ever wow. uh, in, that have left. Now I've had to let some people go, but I've let like yeah. only like six people go in 10 years. That's yeah, that's awesome. Um, which is pretty awesome. So I kind of figured that out very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but it's super, super important. Cannot stress that enough. And then the only other thing I would say is just, um, 
patience. Mm-hmm. I think patience and not trying to do too much. So, Certainly. you know, we would, and that goes hand in hand with being able to say no. Yeah. Um, there were so many other opportunities on a, on a weekly basis that get brought up to us where, Hey, do you want to do this? Do you want a private label for this company? Do you want to do, you know, do you want to do a new beverage? You know, these guys will put you in 5,000 stores. If mm. you do a slightly modified, you know, version of why sparkling with like some adaptogens or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and it's staying the course if you have established a good framework in terms of your annual and your quarterly goals. Mm. Um, and ultimately your three to five year goals sticking to those. Um, and obviously on a quarterly basis and an annual basis, you're reevaluating if those are still the things that are going to, you know, drive the business forward and that are going to allow you to impact others. Um, but you know, it definitely allows you to allocate more of your resources and, and just the distractions can are really what I think kills a lot of companies, Mm. um, from being able to scale and being able to scale, um, sustainably. Definitely. Well, yeah. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Waiakea at waiakea.com. Awesome. Thanks so much, Cameron. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.